culture to politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Certainly a great day if you love inflation because uh, it's smashing every record. It continues to soar 40-year highs. This is extraordinary. I mean, I know people, some people feel nostalgia for the 1970s. Well, this is tugging us back in that direction. And I, everybody feels it. I, it's it's uh, impossible now, and it goes beyond just what is happening at uh, the gas stations and the price of gas. And yes, I know, we've had some good news with the price of gas going down a few cents for several weeks in a row, and I hope that trend continues. But generally, it's the price of food. Uh, we um, we spend a, a lot on food, not because we go out to eat, but because we have guests. We have guests on uh, on the Sabbath, and we have big tables. My wife often bakes bread. Uh, she was just observing that the flour that she usually buys is up by about three dollars a bag from I believe what she said is it's like seven dollars now and it used to be four and when it says used to be that's not back in the old days I know that old people <laughs> very often well I remember when gas was 25 cents a gallon and yeah and I remember when uh, I used to go out and eat hamburgers there was a place in New Haven when I was in in college where you could get really, really great burgers for 19 cents. Okay, that's uh, that's history, I'm afraid. But um, look, th th this idea, here is the way it was reported on cable news covering the new inflation number that came out this morning. Clip 17. Wow, 9.1% year over year, much hotter than expected, everybody. 1981, November 1981 is the last time that we have seen an inflationary number this high. Just I look at that chart. I mean, you can just see it going up and up and up. And Rahel, I just think we need to make one thing clear. This was a bigger jump than Wall Street was expecting this one. When I look at this report, I don't see any relief anywhere. We, even before we got to this 9.1%, there had been some sectors that were behaving a little bit better. I look at rents going up. I didn't see any relief in apparel. When we look at, guys, where we're seeing the largest increases, it's broad-based. Gasoline, shelter, food being the largest contributors. Certainly a confirmation of what a lot of us consumers know is that Inflation is rampant. It is pretty much everywhere these days in this report suggesting that overall you have this unrelenting increase in prices from varying degrees from zero seven on rent up to one percent on food. OK, this is problematic. I mean, and, and what makes it worse for people is uh, I, I don't know about you. I got in the mail my monthly report on our investments, what we have in our uh, retirement accounts. Um, I, not that I have or even any desire to retire. It's not not in in the process prospect. But the uh, the this combined with the losses in the market, and then again people saying be prepared for more losses with a bear market and I know I know what goes down often comes up and comes back and 
the march of uh, America, and I'm an American exceptionalist, and I believe that things will turn around and, and inevitably and probably sooner rather than later. But right now, just um, politically and in terms of feeding this 80% of Americans who believe we're headed in the wrong direction, what do you say to that? Uh, here, here is President Biden said this. This is the official White House statement. He, of course, just as landed in Israel, he uh, toured Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial today. He was received at the airport, talks about our strong relations with Israel. He also issued this statement on the inflation numbers. He said, uh, while today's headline inflation reading is unacceptably high, it is also out of date. Energy alone comprised nearly half of the monthly increase in inflation. Today's data do not reflect the full impact of nearly 30 days of decreases in gas prices that have reduced the price of the pump by about 40 cents since mid-June. Those savings are providing important breathing room for American families. And other commodities like uh, wheat have fallen sharply since the, this report. Okay, if wheat has fallen so sharply, uh, <laughs> what's this deal with the price of flour that my bread-baking uh, wife uh, has noted? Uh, Vice President Harris also has her own take on the inflation number, and uh, she addresses it as usual with her unique insight and forcefulness. Uh, the Vice President of the United States, the Honorable Kamala Harris. This is clip 15. Before I begin, I will address this month's CPI report. There is no question that we still have work to do. But it is important to note that these numbers do not fully reflect the recent drop in gas prices. Average national gas prices have fallen every day for nearly 30 days. Since mid-June, prices are down 40 cents a gallon. Fighting inflation is one of our administration's top economic priorities, which is why we have taken action to lower the cost of living for Americans, millions of Americans. We are releasing one million ba barrels of oil a day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to lower prices at the pump. We have reduced high-speed internet bills for millions of Americans. And we passed a tax cut to give working families up to $8,000 a year. Okay, uh, any uh, folks notice all of that? Or are we talking about gimmicks? I mean, fortunately, they didn't go for the ultimate gimmick of uh, suspending for three months the federal gasoline taxes. Uh, and there's no question, by the way, that all the polling shows that uh, when people concentrate on inflation, they vote Republican. When they concentrate on other issues, uh, issues uh, that they classify in the New York Times on their new poll. Their new poll came out and was a shock to everyone. And all the commentators, even at the New York Times, this is a Siena University and uh, New York Times poll, it shows a dead heat tie, tie, one point difference between Republicans and Democrats. And in fact, in the general poll, when they ask people who would you prefer running the Congress, People choose to send back Democrats by one point. 
But then again, when you go to likely voters, then Republicans are ahead by one point. The question is, uh, what are the issues that are making the Democrats catch up? Abortion is a big one. Uh, guns and gun-related issues. And uh, then assaults on democracy. That's another big one. Now, these are not the biggest issues in the country. When it comes to what's going on right now, 40% of adults say that inflation is the number one issue. And this is when they were just asked to volunteer. And then gas prices, people say 33%. Gun issues is next, and it's uh, 30%. In any event, if you, if you put all the Democratic issues together, does that give them enough to actually win some of these races? Well, part of it is they're raising so much money. And the Democrats, particularly in that uh, Georgia race with Herschel Walker versus Raphael Warnock, Raphael Warnock is the Democratic incumbent, uh, pastor at the Ebenezer Baptist Church where Dr. King once preached, he has just raised a, a, a huge amount of money and far more than the Republicans. Why are the Democrats getting this kind of money? And why is it that uh, they actually now have better do better among white college-educated voters than they do among working-class, non-college-educated minorities? We'll get to that and more coming up on The Medved Show. Medved show, uh, some Beach Boys in the background, and yeah, the weather's been beautiful here in the, the Seattle area. Not only uh, have the Mariners had an eight-game win streak, I know they have a double header today because of the terrible weather back in D.C., and they're playing the Nationals, but um, uh, we've had gorgeous weather here. Yesterday after the show, I uh, we drove. I drove with my wife out to um, a beach park in Medina, which is uh, the suburb where, when he's in town, Bill Gates lives. And uh, it was just a collection of happy people who were very diverse and uh, enjoying the beachfront, uh, not on the ocean, but on the lake in Lake Washington, which is the biggest near Seattle for people who don't live here. Uh, the With all of this positivity, uh, there's a great sense that the country is headed in the wrong direction. A lot of it having to do with inflation. If you um, believe that you know who's responsible for the ridiculous price increases, the one that Jeremy was just mentioning that hit him was um, blueberries because he likes blueberries, right? Who doesn't? And paying for, uh, was it 18 ounces of organic blueberries? Was eight bucks, Jeremy? Is that what it was? Nine dollars. Yeah, so it just went up. Okay, no, not bit, I, I just had gotten it wrong initially. But uh, yeah, 
is it Biden's fault? Uh, Biden's getting a little bit testy about that stuff. And uh, I mean, kind of about everything. He has he has now lower approval ratings than even Trump did at his lowest. And Trump was pretty low. He was plumbing new record lows for the presidency. Now Biden's below that. And uh, here is uh, President Biden snapping at a reporter uh, yesterday who told him that most Democrats would prefer that he not run in 2024. Listen. 2.5. Mr. President, what's your message to Democrats who don't want you to run again? They want me to run. Two-thirds say they Read don't. The poll. Read the polls, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92% of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in no. 2024. 92% said if I did, they'd vote for me. Okay, uh, you'll notice he didn't say that, no, the majority want me to run again, because what the reporter was saying is true. Most Democrats would prefer to have some other candidate. And the 92% who said that they would vote for him if he ran again, that's if he ran against Trump. And uh, yes, against Trump, he he does better. I mean, g given the fact that uh, we had uh, this the seventh broadcast by the January 6th committee, and if there's one underlying message from the January 6th committee and all of the hearings and all of the witnesses and all of the participants and show after show, and it's very compelling, it's that uh, Trump should not be entrusted with the presidency ever again or any other position of responsibility given his behavior. And uh, uh, the fact that uh, by even Biden who is not popular and his party seems to prefer would step aside. The chances are, as we had on uh, Professor Nichols yesterday from uh, University of Maryland, chances are he won't step aside and neither will Kamala and the Democrats are stuck with them and that's not going to help them this November and probably won't help them in November of 2024. The, um, the ongoing horror of Uvalde has been renewed again because of the 77-minute video, which is just incredible, that has been released now by, by media. Uh, they held it just briefly. They claimed they were trying to let the families see it first, but the video shows uh, cops and going up to 17 of them uh, in the hallway of the school at uh, near the door of the school and um, basically part of the way that it it is headlined in the New York Post is uh, that they even restrained a colleague whose daughter was one of the 22 who died it, uh, it restrained him one cop whose knew his daughter was in there and is crying from going in and taking down the school shooter uh, before 17 of the cops ran away from the gunfire. I mean, the, the footage is is chilling and it's remarkable. And, and again, you, you feel for these cops. Their lives and careers are over, certainly should be. But uh, this is uh, the way that CNN's Anderson Cooper responded after watching all 77 minutes of that. That's 77 minutes from the time the 
cops arrived at the building, that there were law enforcement resources in the building, and the fine time they finally took down the shooter, and he killed substantial people in that period of time. Here's Anderson Cooper, clip eight. Shimon, I, yeah, I want to bring in uh, CNN senior law enforcement analyst and former FBI deputy director Andrew McCabe. Andrew, what is your reaction to, to seeing this video? Not the full surveillance video, which went on for 77 minutes. It, it does show the officers just waiting. You see ballistic shields being laid on the ground. You see heavily armed officers amassing and waiting. Uh, and when the, finally they do go forward, the ballistic shields are not in the front. They, apparently they weren't all that important after all. I mean, what do you, what do you see in this video? You know, Anderson, there's just there's almost too many failures to to catalog here on the brief time that we have. Of the initial responding officers, only about half of them actually go down to the door. Um, you see guys walking around talking to each other using hand sanitizer, which is I, I can't even understand that. So there's just failure upon failure. But more broadly, what you see here, Anderson, is a complete failure to live up to the sacred trust the bargain that every law enforcement officer makes when they hold up their hand and are sworn into their job. And that is that you will lay down your life to protect other people. Okay, the fact that they ran in the opposite direction when they had a spray of bullets coming at them from one of the school classrooms, the fact that they uh, spent so much time looking for a key. Now, I have not watched, I don't think they've released to the public yet, the all 77 minutes, but it's excruciating. I mean, that's the length of some of a movie, uh, just about a typical movie, at least until we got into this elephantiasis where they're trying to make them longer and longer. But a typical movie used to be 90 minutes. So you have 77 minutes of this and all of that playing out and they are hearing gunfire and you can hear the screams of some of the children. Appalling. We can do better. Uh, we're going to be talking, speaking of doing the best, with the best commentator on the ongoing investigation with the January 6th committee. Uh, his name is Andy McCarthy, veteran prosecutor, voice from National Review and more. Coming up on the MedVet Show. Always a pleasure on the MedVed Show to welcome back our friend uh, Andy McCarthy, who is a senior fellow at National Review Institute, uh, an NR contributing editor for National Review, and a former very distinguished federal prosecutor. And he has ventured into politics with his latest column. He uh, talks about the Democrats' great hope for 2024. Who is the Democratic savior? No, it's not Joe Biden. No, it's not Kamala Harris. Who is it? Well, stay tuned. See, there we're, we're doing one of those show business things, trying to keep people hooked on the interview, Andy. <laughs> well, I have my red hat at the ready, Michael, just not to, not to ruin the suspense or anything. Okay, well, well good, good, good. Uh, look, uh, let me play a uh, the segment from the interview uh, the uh, show yesterday, the investigation, the hearings, the very, very end, the last closing statement was from Liz Cheney, 
and she revealed some new information that is potentially significant, and I wanted to get your reaction to it. This is Liz Cheney at the conclusion of yesterday's interview. Listen. After our last hearing, President Trump tried to call a witness in our investigation, a witness you have not yet seen in these hearings. That person declined to answer or respond to President Trump's call and instead alerted their lawyer to the call. Their lawyer alerted us. And this committee has supplied that information to the Department of Justice. Let me say one more time, we will take any effort to influence witness testimony very seriously. Okay, uh, Andy McCarthy, is this uh, legally potentially a, a really problematic deal if President Trump called one of the witnesses? Well, Michael, you know, much as I like Liz Cheney, this is why I think what this committee does and what she's done many times is utterly inappropriate. Either tell us what happened or don't say anything. But this business of like floating out you know, this committee has subpoenaed a lot of people who are known to Trump and close to Trump. Um, now, I mean, to, to answer the question directly that you've asked me, if someone is corruptly attempting to influence someone's testimony, that's witness tampering. That's what you would have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Not only it's not a crime to reach out to someone you know is under subpoena unless there's a court order telling you not to do it. The question is, do you corruptly influence the person? And the way I've always tried to explain this to people is if um, if your lawyer calls you up the day before you have to testify in court because you're under subpoena and says, just tell the truth tomorrow and everything will be fine, then that means one thing. If Luca Brazzi from The Godfather calls you up and says, just tell the truth tomorrow, you'll be fine, that could mean entirely something else. So all of this is very factual and, and contextual. And you can't make a, a judgment about whether this is appropriate or inappropriate unless you know who it is he reached out to, what did he say, how sure are they that it relates to uh, the fact that the person is either subpoenaed to testify or offered to testify. And I really think it's inappropriate for them to, to give us half a story. Either You know, it can't be that, you know, she says that we're, we've referred this to the Justice Department. And, of course, the Justice Department isn't going to speak about it. You know why? Because people – you're not supposed to speak about matters that are under investigation, and Liz Cheney knows that. So either keep it to yourself until you're ready to prove something or tell us the whole thing. But don't do – I mean, they do this routine all the time. I think it's maddening. Well, again, it's to keep people watching. And I think uh, your another piece that you had in National Review, which uh, I agree with, is that – They've uh, been advised here by a veteran television producer, and what they're trying to do is to produce compelling television and all leading up to the blockbuster hearing, the final hearing, the concluding hearing, the grand finale, the climax of the whole thing, which is coming next week, which is going to be, I understand, in prime time. And that really poses the the most crucial question. We're just talking about the the hideous video that has been released from Uvalde showing the police officers knowing that something terrible was going on and just doing nothing, going to get hand sanitizer or 
checking their phones or waiting for what exactly, we're not sure, but that's an awful thing. Don't you suspect that, that what they're going to be doing next week is doing the same kind of thing with Trump, taking it moment by moment, that three hours that he was incommunicado, while there were 150 cops being seriously injured, uh, some of whom were featured yesterday? Is that what you expect as as, as I do? Yeah, that's exactly what they'll do. And, I, you know, Michael, I think there would be real value in that if the record had been developed in a normal hearing setting where you had cross-examination. And I think they've really underserved the value. I'm not saying that this won't have any value. Uh, you know, obviously, they've talked to a lot of uh, particularly senior Republican officials, including Trump administration officials, who were not hostile to the president, who've given them very damaging information. And under those circumstances, I don't think there's any reason to doubt the testimony of those people. But, you know, to get a complete story, uh, you're you're supposed to have the other side's perspective if, if there is one. And if there isn't one, that that's a whole, you know, that's a whole other matter uh, that that firms you up in what your conclusions are. But I think it would have been much more effective for their, from their perspective if they had developed the record in a methodical, adversarial way uh, and then done the, uh, the kind of comparison that you're talking about. I think that would be very effective. And for the life of me, I don't understand why they were concerned about having pro-Trump people on this panel. I mean, do you think Bill Barr was going to wilt because Jim Jordan asked him a mean question? I, you know, I just think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, their argument about Jim Jordan was he was one of those people who was under investigation that who had spoken yeah. with Trump uh, several times yeah. on the telephone. So he was involved in the whole Stop the Steal movement and uh, the setup for this rally, no? Yeah, it, it, right. But except this isn't a court case, right? If this was a legal case, then that would be exactly right. He has a conflict of interest. But this is a political case. Who doesn't have a conflict of interest? They were all in the Capitol when it was under siege, right? We've got people on the committee who either led uh, Democratic investigations, including impeachment investigations, against Trump. We have people on the committee who themselves have objected to the counting of electoral votes in other elections. It's a political process. Everybody knows this is not a legal thing where people get bounced on account of conflicts of interest. Okay, speaking of legal thing, this comes down to the question that everybody is asking now. Uh, do you believe that the Justice Department will move forward on uh, some kind of grand jury investigation or potential indictments for the former president? Mm -hmm. And should they? Uh, I think it's all, the grand jury is already underway. Um, and whether they'll actually indict former President Trump or not, I, I don't know. I mean, to my mind, I, I really think if they don't have a simple crime, that's particularly one that's tied to violence, I think it would be a mistake to do it. Now, I think they have – if you're asking do they have a sufficient case that they could indict, I have seen cases with less evidence than this get indicted. And, and by the way, get one in court. Um, I think here you have to weigh some significant downsides to exercising discretion to prosecute. Wow. We, we will be right back. Uh, and a Andy uh, does have his latest National Review piece.
uh, the Democrats hope. Who is the Democrats' savior for the election coming up? Uh, we'll get Andy McCarthy's opinion and more coming up on the Medved Show. Medved Show, one of the guys who tells it straight all, all the time, whether he's at National Review or on Fox News or talking on the Michael Medved Show, you can count on Andrew McCarthy. We've posted his latest piece, which probably is going to be controversial for folks, but it, it, it shouldn't be, it seems to me. The, uh, the headline is Democrats Hope Trump 20. 24 uh, make Biden president again exclamation point and not make America great again make Biden president again and then the subheading Trump's the Democrats savior not ours uh, so what do you say Andy the the most recent New York Times Siena University poll shows that if there were a vote today it would be just about a replay of uh, 2020 with uh, Biden with a four-point lead over Trump. But uh, that's still close, isn't it? Well, it's close. Um, but at the same time, uh, that gets reported contemporaneously, Michael, with the New York Times also saying that he's down to 33% Biden is uh, approval. Right. So. You know, I mean, there is a, a sort of a political zero, I think, that we're approaching that, you know, beneath, beneath which Biden can't go uh, just because of the way our, our uh, you know, political uh, culture is. Uh, and Biden's approaching it. But I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for him to get much lower than 33. I imagine he's really probably closer to, to 37 or so. But um, if even at his lowest ebb, Biden would still beat Trump. I think that should say something to people. I don't believe, and I'm, I'm not saying anything that's a reaction to the hearings that the January 6th committee is having or, or anything that's happened recently. I, I've said for a long time, I don't think Donald Trump can ever win a national election again. And the nightmare scenario uh, for Republicans is I, I could easily see him winning the Republican nomination because of his relative uh, strength in the party. There's such a disconnect between his influence in Republican politics and his approval nationally that it just seems to me the nightmare scenario for Republicans is they nominate Trump and he can't win a national election. And I, you know, I, I caution people, this is not about do you love Trump or do you hate Trump? I just want to be coldly political about this. He can't win a national election. So if that matters to people in terms of like whether we have four more years of Biden or someone like him or four more years in a different direction, it ought to matter to you that Trump can't win a national election. One of the reasons that I, I suspect that you're completely correct is that uh, Trump seems unable to control himself about going back and talking about the myths and uh, fantasies and nightmares of the 2020 election. And, I mean, my God, you don't win an election by repeating that in the election four years ago, 
the uh, claim that you were cheated. Uh, the, the, the difficulty here is what you were saying about his ability to win the nomination. The Associated Press had, a, I think, a perceptive piece which said that the Trump strategists are assuming that this is going to end up being a repeat of 2016, not 2020. Why? Because there won't be just one Republican challenger to Trump. There'll be several. And they will divide the vote. And Trump can do what he did in 2016, which is get 30%, sometimes 25% in primary after primary and keep winning them all. And because we have a lot of uh, winner-take-all primaries, he can be the nominee again. Do you think that's a legitimate fear? Well, I think it's a legitimate fear. I My take on it is different. I think that uh, Trump was kind of an unknown quantity politically, 2015, 2016. Now he's a powerhouse, so I don't think you'll find 16 people want to climb in the ring with him. I, th I just think the money will dry up too fast. So I think if he runs, he's more likely to run against like a field of four than a field of 17. But you're quite right. I mean, the problem is the more people who get in, the more likely it is he gets the nomination. Yeah, in a field of four, if uh, each one gets 20% uh, uh, or 18% or something like that, uh, he still wins with uh, with a small uh, uh, support base. And do the hearings and and would a potential federal prosecution that might be unveiled before uh, certainly before the election of 2024 would that help Trump uh, allowing him to show that he is still the victim and the uh, hounds are still chasing after him and he is still being harassed and uh, uh, by swamp creatures who are trying to bring him down would that hurt him or help him you know uh, it reminds me that uh, when I my podcast made at National Review Rich Lowry when when I told him that I was afraid that the Progressive progressives had such influence over the Trump administration that they would indict Trump uh, more than likely, even though the, Merrick Garland will know it's a bad thing. Rich's reaction was to say to me, are they trying to get him up to 80 percent approval in Republican circles? And, um, I, you know, I wish I could have argued back at that. But I think that if they indict Trump, I think part of the reason, Michael, that he may announce early is to make any charges that get filed against him look like or at least he'll be able to argue that they're trying to take him out because they know they can't beat him do you do, i i actually do know people who have watched uh at least some of these hearings and are to some extent reconsidering trump uh yeah. the the descriptions about him sitting at his desk and listening to Alex Jones and Roger Stone uh, on the stage outside thundering nonsense and uh, the music and his enjoyment apparently of the violent uh, riot in the Capitol building doesn't he have to do a better job explaining his role in all that yeah, I, I think that's exactly right, and why in the end I think you know Liz Cheney may end up being right, even though um, I'm not crazy about the way they're going about it. I don't, I you know I'm I object to the way these hearings go because I, I just don't think you know I think they should have cross examination and and they should be making a more reliable record. But as a TV show, 
this is very effective, a lot of it. I thought, you know, Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony was very effective. I watched the whole hearing yesterday. I think it's very effective. I looked at it as a criminal, as a lawyer who does criminal law practice, and I thought, you know, there's a gaping hole in their case. They can't prove Trump's intent beyond a reasonable doubt. But not everybody is watching this as a, as a criminal practitioner lawyer. Some people are watching this as, you know, Trump says terrible, provocative things, and the next thing you know, the Capitol is being breached and, and police are being beaten on. And I think that's very effective. Uh, it's a very effective argument for, uh, you know, the anti-Trump side. And I do think he'll have a lot. To, it's, it goes to the point of I don't think he can win a national election. I keep hoping that Republicans will come to their senses and recognize that even if they won't go where I am, which is to say anybody who does this should not ever be, you know, has no business ever even thinking about being president. But if you don't want to go there, at least, you know, it matters that he can't win. Well, that's again, if you talk about what is Liz Cheney's goal, even uh, what is uh, uh, Benny Thompson's goal, what is their goal with this entire process? It's to. Uh, get people to stop envisioning or maybe envisioning a third term of Trump or another term of Trump, a second term, actually, because that's the issue is not whether he belongs in jail. It's whether he belongs in the White House. And uh, the New York yeah, I, Times, in their poll, they say half of GOP voters ready to leave Trump behind, the poll found. And in fact, a lot of GOP voters saying they wouldn't vote for him even if he's the nominee. Yeah, well, I, I guess, Michael, that goes back to, you know, the, the conversation we had a minute or so ago about, you know, if it's four people rather than 17, maybe it matters who's, who the four are. You know, I mean, if it's three or four and two of them, one is Trump and say two of them are Trumpy who, who want to say, I can be Trump without all the baggage, and then someone else is the anti-Trump candidate, Maybe there's a possibility of rallying around somebody other than uh, other than Trump. I just it, it may be too early to tell that, but I think that's possible. It's fascinating and it's important and always unique and valuable insight from uh, from Andrew McCarthy. We'll also be speaking with law professor John Yu, who uh, also has been watching the hearings and the possibilities of a presidential indictment. We'll get to that and much more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.